study groups, Thursday night, Alcoholics and God's Speaker Step Series. Uh, we're going to have Joey come up and do our joke. hey oh, it's Joey here. Uh, I got a joke. Um, I, I perused it before, and I don't know if you've seen Goodwill Hunting. It's also in Goodwill Hunting, but that's okay. We're going to say it now. You know, Matt Damon, he's Okay, tell the joke. All right. Please don't sue me if you hear this. All right. Uh, uh, it seems a gentleman had too much alcohol at a party and was heading home. While heading home, he was pulled over by a state trooper. Upon being tested, the fellow couldn't walk a straight line any more than he could drive one. So the trooper wrote out a ticket and had just given it to the driver before an accident in the opposing lane took his attention to more important, important matters. The inebriated driver, figuring that the trooper wasn't coming back to him, drove home and went to bed. He was awakened in the morning by a knock at the door, created by two more state troopers. Are you Mr. Johnson? The troopers asked. He admitted that he was. Were you pulled over at Main Street last night for driving under the influence? Again, the man admitted that was he. And what did you... Sorry, what did you do then, the troopers asked. The man replied that he drove his car home and went to bed. Where is your car now, the troopers inquired. The man answered that it was in the garage. May we see the car, asked the troopers. The man answered, sure, and opened the garage. Inside the garage was the state trooper's car. Uh, 
Thank you. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Ryan. Hey. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Uh, please turn off all devices that will make noise or that will distract others. Uh, take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Uh, if everybody's ready, we're going to start the meditation. Foglight prayer. If you don't know it, it's up on the banner right here. So just follow along. Uh, God, let your love shine through me like a foglight, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. Uh, there is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news that this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Irene to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, uh, so it's kind of important to know what one is. So I'm going to invite Irene up. Spiritual Experience. The term spiritual experience and the spiritual awakening are used many times in the book, which... Upon careful reading shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among 
us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers impressions that these personality changes or religious experiences must be the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous, <laughs> enormous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, following at once by vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapid, rapidly growth membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations through frequent are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time, quite often friends of the newcomer are aware of the differences long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. That such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few, few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Come on. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. One more religious members call it God conscience. Some emphatically we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honest, honestly facing his problems in the light of our experiences can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance of or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of this program. Willingness, honesty, and open-minded are the essentials of recovery because these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. 
Uh, this is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. Um, and tonight we've got Pat starting the first session of a 12-week series. Um, I'm excited because I, it's been about a little over two years since we've had Pat come speak for us, so I feel like we're getting back to our roots tonight. So uh, help me welcome Pat. big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, uh, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and that, for that I will be just forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just change my life and save my life, but it gave me a new life, and uh, that's what I needed, but it's not what I came in here for. You know, I originally came in here to get my old shit back, uh, but I, I ended up with something totally different. I mean, I, I wanted the house back. I wanted the girl back. I wanted my kids back. You know, I wanted my, I wanted the lawsuit dropped. You know, I wanted the restraining order lifted. Uh, you know, I wanted all that stuff, and uh, and that's not what I got. But thank God, I didn't get what I wanted, and uh, I wanted a girlfriend. <laughs> I wanted, wanted anything but what I got. And thank God, I got what I got. So it's good to be here. It has been a couple of years, right? I think so. And uh, man, that's some bright ass lights. <laughs> It has been a couple of years, and, uh, and I've missed it. I, this is one of the rooms I love. Uh, you know, I was, uh, the other room I really love is the one-on-one club. It's, I don't know what it is about these two rooms that, uh, that I really feel connected in. I, I was, uh, I, part of it is the energy that we bring to the room. And, uh, and I was on my way to the one-on-one club to speak on Sunday morning, and, uh, and I didn't get to go to my other fellowship that I visit sometimes on Sundays. And uh, so, but I was listening to it online, and I was listening to Pastor Dave from CBG, and right before he got on, the, uh, and I had to write it down, they, they, uh, there was a song playing uh, I had never heard before, and it, it, was, uh, it was called Keep Me Where the Light Is, you know, and uh, my God, that hit home, and, and the next line was, I want to be where you are. <laughs> you know, and, and that's that is true. I mean, we bring the light and I want to be there. I want to be where you are. You guys bring the light to this room. When, we, when I come into this room and it's empty, there's there's no energy here. There, you know, I think we bring God. If you want to call the light God, which is what I'm referring to is is I want I need that light. I'm, I went from darkness to light. And when I walk into this room, I feel the light. You know, I feel the energy and I need that. And I've missed that. And thank God we're back together meeting in person because uh who got sober online? Who got sober on Zoom? Anybody here? No coronials? No? <laughs> that had to be tough. I don't think I could have done that. I, didn't, I needed you to hold me up, man. I needed you to put your arm around me and hold me up. I, I owe a ton to this fellowship as well as the program. I, you know, I believe that, that God works in all three sides of that triangle, whether it be the fellowship, the recovery, or the service side. But uh, I believe God works in all kinds of different ways. It's, it's not always me connecting directly with God. It's me connecting with you uh, and God speaking through you or, me, or God speaking through me uh, that channels us and, and connects us and, and keeps us in the light. You know, so I've been like obsessed with this keep me in the light line of this song. I, I actually listened to the song in a way where it's a great song. But anyway, I'm a... Uh, I don't know how this is going to go. We're going to cover 12 steps in 12 weeks. I don't, it's not going to be a step a week. Uh, today we're going to probably, I, you know, the big book takes the doctor's opinion in four chapters on the first two steps. You know, I'm, I'm not going to cover step one this week and, and completely. And, but what I would like to talk about uh, 
is, is part of that, is, is what it means to be powerless and, and how I came about knowing uh, what it was powerless, because I had no idea what it meant to be powerless when I got here. Uh, you know, and, and we hear mixed messages from the fellowships. Uh, they talk about people, places, and things, and, and that's not what we're talking about, although that may be true. Uh, that's really not what we're talking about here. You know, we're talking about why I can't stay stopped and why I can't control my drinking or drugging uh, once I start. You know, I have other issues, just so you know. Don't be insulted if you're an AA tradition Nazi. Uh, I may mention drugs here and there. You know, but uh, the, uh, the inability to stay stopped and the inability to control my drinking once I start is the problem. That that it what well, is what it means to be powerless. All that other stuff is 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 outside issues, which everything's kind of an outside issue except for that, right? And and the book goes to great great lengths, covers the doctor's opinion in four chapters to uh, help us uh, come to help us conclude whether we're the real alcoholic or not. You know, whether we're that one that, given sufficient reason, can't stay stopped, and once we start, can't control the amount we take. I mean, it, they go to great lengths. I think four times, and then in the ABCs, you know, they, they mention those two points, and and, uh, and and so we're going to cover, we're going to talk about that a lot, you know, in the next few weeks. Uh, I think what I kind of wanted to touch on tonight was the unmanageability side of that, you know, which is which can manifest itself in me sober and drunk, you know, it can it can manifest in me out there, and it can manifest in me in here, and. Uh, I like what Doc always says, you know, that, that I am powerless over alcohol. That means my life is unmanageable. And that hyphen meaning that means. And I, that was the first time I ever heard that, and I grabbed onto that. But, but my life was unmanageable way before I got to Alcoholics Anonymous. It, way before I found a drink, by the way, my life was unmanageable. And, and so I want to I kind of uh, tell my story tonight uh, I think one of the most important things in recovery is the identification process that takes place one alcoholic on another. I think that's our gift. You know, I think that's what separates us from the clergy and the psychiatrists and the psychologists and the, and the, uh, the uh, I'm missing somebody, the doctors, the medical fraternity. <laughs> you know, that's what separates us because when they say they know how we feel, we know they don't. Right when the guys that when you tell them that you were go, you, you all you had to do was not drink and you wouldn't go to jail and they say they know how you feel no you don't <laughs> you know you don't know what it feels like to have a drink knowing you're going to lose your child you don't know what it feels like to have a drink knowing they're going to violate you you know uh, you don't know what it feels like to have a drink or pick up a drug knowing the consequences ahead of time it isn't even like we believe a lie it isn't even like I it isn't like I didn't know it was an effort. Right? It was an effort moment. And what causes me to say effort? You know, what causes me to, to, to pick up even though she's packed? And she says, I'm leaving if you pick up another drink. If you come home drunk tonight, you come home drunk one more time, I'm out of here. And I go, okay, I got it. Unpack. I got it. Never again. And by the time the day's up, I'm drunk. You know, what do, there's, there's something going on internally. And, and that's kind of what I want to touch on tonight. I, I think there's a reason why there's 43 stories in our big book. You know, there's, there's, there's a reason why there's 42 in the back of the book and bills. You know, there's this identification process that is vital to recovery. That's why I, I really believe that alcoholics need to come to AA. Drug addicts need to go to CA or NA first. That's all. I think you can find recovery in either, either fellowship. But, you know, when, when I come up here and I read more about alcoholism... And I talk about, you know, the inability to control, one more attempt to control, you know, uh, 
well, uh, uh, you know, when they use control five times, you substitute crack in there, it makes no sense at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> a crack addict's not going to identify with that, right? One more attempt to control my crack smoking. You know, try to smoke crack like a normal person, you know? <laughs> you know? You know, it's not going to make any sense to them, but they need to. So I think they need to identify in their fellowship and then come here, work the steps if you want. Fortunately, CA uses our book, so that's that's pretty cool, uh, which I'm a member of also. But so, anyways, I, I think uh, the reason there's 42 is because we're all unique. We're all diamonds sitting here. Every one of us sitting here is a diamond. We are we are truly unique. Our stories are unique for a reason because somebody needs to hear your story, not my story. You know. Uh, somebody, there's going to be somebody here that doesn't identify with me tonight. Uh, if that's the case, come back next week. You know, don't leave AA. <laughs> you know, because you say I don't identify with that guy. You know, because my story isn't necessary to to, to land in recovery or to find recovery from alcoholism. You don't. And, and some people have to go to jail. Some people have to lose everything. Some people don't. You know, you don't have to hit a. You don't have to lose everything to be powerless over alcohol. You can come in here. I think that 12 and 12 touches that on in the step one. It talks about raising the, raising the, uh, the bottom. You know, the bottoms are coming up because our information is out there. So, you know, when you hear the, I, I think sometimes what, what happens in AA is people who don't, haven't lost everything and come in here and hear stories of people who have lost everything, they identify out. You know, well, I, I've, especially young people, right? I haven't even been married. I haven't had a career yet. You know, uh, I haven't even, I don't have a driver's license yet, you know, and they're talking about DUIs and jails and divorces and, you know, the young people, oh, when I get as bad as you, I'll be back, you know, and, and I think it, sometimes our stories have the opposite effect, but so, I mean, so if you don't identify with my story, go to a bunch of speaker meetings, you'll find somebody, go to some young people meetings if you're young and listen to some young people who got sober and, and identify there, but, but I think our gift is our stories, uh, the, the, the rest of the professionals don't have the story. And that's where the, I did that. Yeah, I felt like that. Yeah, that happened to me. And then maybe they ask you, what did you do? Or maybe we tell them what we did to get sober. And, and that's the gift. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about that. But, I, but I, mainly I want to talk about that unmanageability that I was talking about, that, that inability to cope with life at any age uh, without some kind of fear or anxiety or some inner dialogue that told me that I wasn't good enough or I, I, I was ugly or my ears stuck out or, you know, that inability to fit in with other people, uh, that, that dialogue that says you're a loser, uh, I don't want to be on this planet, you know. And, and, and I don't know where that comes from, by the way. I, I was a, a five-year-old who threw up on my way to school from fear, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't know why. You know, what does a five-year-old have to be afraid of on their way to school, you know? I was shorter than everybody else. I was a little younger than everybody else. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense, you know? I don't know whether I was wired that way or if, uh, if my childhood had something to do with that, which is possible. I grew up in a violent house. You know, my dad was a violent guy. He was one of us. I, you know, I didn't know that until I got into AA, you know? Uh, I thought he was just an asshole, but... But it turns out he's an alcoholic asshole, you know, kind of like me. <laughs> I remember saying that to my ex-wife when I came into the program. I figured it out. I'm an alcoholic. And she goes, no, you're an asshole. And she hung up. <laughs> he was right. I was both. You know? But, uh, 
you know, there was a lot of violence. My dad was, my dad would come home and you didn't know what you were going to get. You know, you didn't know whether he was going to beat the hell out of my mother because she asked the wrong question. You know, like, where were you or something like that? Or, you know, why haven't you been home the last couple of days? You know, and all hell would break loose. Or he'd come home and say, let's go camping. You know, pack up the car, let's go camping. So you were always kind of on edge. And, uh, and I don't know if anybody else has, has laid in bed and heard the violence go on in the other room. And it's frightening when you're a child. And, and uh, you know, we could be even on our way to camping and, you know, everything's going well. And, and my mother asked some other stupid question, like, where'd you get this car? Or something like that, you know. And, uh, and then, you know, all hell would break loose in the car. I've actually, I have memories of my dad actually kicking my mother out of the car and driving off, you know. And the three of us, there was four of us eventually, but the three of us would look at each other and go, well, mom's gone. <laughs> you know? and it, it, was, it was like, you know, I look back at it. And I could see where that could create a slightly nervous disposition in a child, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and possibly why I needed a drink, but not why I'm an alcoholic, right? Not why I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic because I can't stop given sufficient reason. Stay stopped. I can stop. I just can't stay stopped. And once I start, I can't control the amount I take. And that's what separates me. My brother grew up in the same house. You know, my brother thinks about his childhood my brother has a couple of beers, and he goes and watches TV, you know, or goes to bed, you know. Pat thinks about his childhood. He has a couple of beers, eight ball, you know, and, and I'm off to the races. You know what I mean? Two, three days later, I'm coming down. All right, I'm over it, you know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, that won't happen again. I know you guys have never said that. <laughs> you know, but uh, it was just I hated my childhood. I actually hated it. I hated who I, I hated how I felt. Uh, I hated what I looked like. I hated my size. Uh, you know, I, I wish I, I wish I was that guy. You know, I want to be that guy. I want to I want to be that guy with that girl. You know, I want to be the guy on the football team. I want to be, you know, the captain of the baseball team. And and uh, and I and I it wasn't that I was terrible in anything. I was just frightened. I was just always frightened. I mean, I made the, I played high school baseball. I was on the high school baseball team, but I would just choke under pressure. You know, I just could not handle the pressure. As soon as I would get up there and everybody was lying on me and, and everybody was looking at me, I would fold. You know, I just couldn't do it. And I, you know, I, uh, my mom, my dad left when I was about five or six years old. He would come in and out of our lives and disrupt it and, and leave again. And, and then my mom eventually married another violent guy, another drunk, uh, you know, when I was about uh, 14. And all I could think of from 14 on was to get out of that house. I, now I'm a teenager, him and I are clashing physically, you know, because he's not my father, and you're not telling me what to do, you know, and uh, you touch my mother one more time, and we're, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and uh, so it started getting violent between us, and I, I can't wait to get out of there, so all I could think about was to get my driver's license, and my driver's license would be my ticket to freedom, and I'll get the hell out of this house, and uh, I remember uh, turning uh, 16 and driving to Harrisburg, I'm from Pittsburgh originally, driving to Harrisburg, PA, without a driver's license to get my permit, you know, and with a car with no plate on it, you know, with, you know, somebody, somebody else's plate was on it. And, uh, and I come back and I get my driver's license, my ticket to freedom. I'm out of here, you know, and, uh, my cousin Russell, uh, found out I had a driver's license and, you know, back in the seventies, you have a driver's license and a tap. Does anybody know what that is? Does anybody know what a tap is? <laughs> no, it's this thing you put on the top of a beer cake and, and it, dispenses the booze. I think they come with them now, right? You buy a keg, it's got it on there, but 
I've never even seen one of those, by the way. But, so, but if you had a tap, which was a $35 rental fee, you know, if you had stolen one, you know, which I had, and you had a car, you were valuable, and you got invited to a lot of places. But my cousin finds out I got a car and a driver's license. Come on, we're going to a dance tonight. Come with us. And I'm, I'm, that, I'm not that guy, you know. I mean, I was, I was scared to death of women. I was scared. I could never talk to a girl. I mean, it was... And that's a tough place to be, by the way, when after, from 13 years on, all you can think about is girls and you can't talk to them. And you realize you're never going to get laid. <laughs> that's a tough way to live as a teenager. And uh, so I didn't go to the proms and the dances and the homecomings and all that stuff because I don't dance. I don't get up there and make an ass out of myself. You know, I, I couldn't, couldn't have anybody look at me and, and start making fun of me. You know? and I said, no, I don't do the dance thing. He goes, you don't have to dance. There's a band there. You listen to the band, which is what I would normally do, stand on the wall and listen to the music and look at the girls that I might ask to dance if I wasn't scared to death. And, and on the way to the dance, we stopped at the state store. Any PA people here? State store? You know a state store, right? They had state steers and beer distributors. There was, well, I came to Florida. I saw booze in a 7-Eleven. I couldn't freaking believe it. You know, like, holy shit, you could touch the bottles and stuff. You know, you pick them up and fondle them. Over down there, you're on this side of the counter, and the booze is on the other side, and you got a point, you know, at what you want. And uh, so my, my, uh, my cousin and, and me and, and our buddy Rat, everybody's got a friend named Rat, right? <laughs> Rat, Rat was a, a 15-year-old Italian that looked 30. You know what I mean? Like, I think Rat was losing his hair already. Full beard, you know, 15, 16 years old. You know, and, and shirt open with the head, you know. Rat, Rat could go into the state store and not get carded, right? That's what they would call it. We, Pennsylvania had a liquor, an LCB card, a liquor control board card, because the pictures weren't on our driver's license back then. And, uh, and Rat never got carded because he looked the age, you know. And uh, Rat came out with a bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill and a bottle of orange vodka. And uh, outside that dance, I got halfway through that bottle of Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill. And I went from Pee Wee Herman to John Travolta. <laughs> you know? And uh, I had the absolute time of my life. Absolute time of my life. I, I mean, all that fear, all that you're less than, all that you can't dance, all that you can't talk to women, all that. that I found a new freedom and a new happiness. You know what I mean? I intuitively know how to handle the situation now that used to baffle me. You know what I mean? I had no problem. I danced with every girl in that dance that night, every, whether they wanted to or not. You know, I was, you know what I mean? You know that, Galitis, you know that guy that keeps coming around in front of you? That was me. You know, you're like, you want to dance with your girlfriends, but this guy keeps coming around. That was me, man. I was staying alive. <laughs> it was like Saturday Night Fever, baby. It's the only dance I knew. Put the arm up. It's a little old, I know. It's a crowd. I'm losing the crowd. I'm losing the crowd. I'm getting old. <laughs> Anybody know who John Travolta is? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One. <sighs> the truth is I went on a 20-year run from there. That was the deal. That was the deal. I had, found, I had found life. I had found a way to live life without fear and anxiety, you know, and uh, that was amazing to me. Uh, I... Uh, the inner unmanageability, and that's what I call the unmanageability, what was running my life, what was dictating where I went and what I did and where I hung out was fear. You know, I was just fear-ridden. You know? and, I, and look, I'm not saying that the fear is completely gone, but I got another go-to now other than Boone's Farm. <laughs> you know? But I'll tell you, my drug of choice from that point on became whatever you had. You know, I mean, it really, alcohol was my, was my go-to. 
I love liquor. It, was all, it always did the job. But if you had something else that would enhance that experience, uh, sure, why not? You know, I didn't even ask what it was half the time until the next day. What the hell was that? You know, and I, I woke up in the middle of the street. You know, I didn't even make it across the street. What the hell was that? You know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I, I forget who I heard say. Maybe it was Tom that, that said it. You know, if you really want to know your drug of choice, if you only were allowed to go into one room the rest of your, in your whole drinking career, which room would you pick? You know, would you, if you're only allowed one room, the alcohol room, the, 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 the cocaine room, you know, the benzo room, the opiate room, you know, which room are you picking? You know, and, and the truth is I would pick the alcohol room, you know. Now, now, that's not the case. I thought I was a drug addict who drank when I came to AA, you know. I mean, I, I, I thought that was going to save my ass, was, was putting the drugs down. But alcohol is what really brought me to my knees. And I love the effect produced by it, you know. The, the, the inner unmanageability is cured. I'm done. I'm, 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 I'm whole. You know, I feel like I'm alive. And, and I'm part of. I've found this niche that I fit in with, a bunch of other misfits that did nothing but drink and drug, you know. And, and I, I felt like I had, I had solved life's problems. And the outer unmanageability that we refer to as consequences started immediately, right, immediately. I, I went through a windshield three days after that drink, you know. Uh, by the way, I don't know anything about normal drinking. <laughs> I drank alcoholically from day one. I, I really believe I was an alcoholic, and all you needed to do was add alcohol. If you look at my family tree, there's bottles hanging off it. You know, there's, you know, there's everybody in our family. There's more alcoholics in our family than there are anything else. I mean, it's just the, the alcoholics outnumber the non-alcoholics three to one in, in my, both sides of my family, by the way. And, and then there's a little mental illness, you know, tucked in there, you know. <laughs> You know, there's some suicides. There's three suicides in our family. You know, people that just, you know, and does anybody identify with that? Does anybody identify with growing up as a child before you found liquor? Like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to live the way I feel. The way I feel is so over-freaking-whelming that I'd rather be dead. You know, where the frick does that come from? Right? Where the hell does that come from? You know, the day is going fine and you're, you know, sitting in the shower. You're taking a shower and all of a sudden I'm a piece of shit. I should kill myself. Where the hell do those words come? Where does that come from? That was me. That was me. You know, my dad, alcoholic, he had uh, four brothers and two sisters. All his brothers are gone. They're all gone, directly related to alcoholism and cigarettes, you know, which went hand in hand with those guys, you know. His two sisters, he's got one sister alive, the other one directly related to alcoholism. My mother had four kids. Three out of the four of us caught the bullet. My brother, you know, what the hell happened to him? You know, you know there's, there's me, and then there's my sister, who has two years less sober than me. And then it skipped him and my baby sister, uh, who passed away of an overdose about three year, 13 years ago. You know, three out of the four of us caught the bullet. I don't know how he did. You know, he's that guy. He's, he's that guy that can put it down, and he can live with or without it. You know, he's fine just goes to show it's not your environment. <laughs> you know, he's living proof. It's just not the environment, you know. It's the bullet. It's the, the, the we're physically different. We're physically different and emotionally different. And, uh, and so I go through the windshield three days after that. I get arrested three times that year. I lose my driver's license before my 17th birthday for eight years. Get caught three or four times under suspension. I don't even know how many times I got caught. Just as Bill says in his story, ominous warnings, which I failed to heed. You know, ominous warning. You know. I had a uh, 
had a son in 78, got married in 1979, and came to Florida in 1980. Anybody knows what was going on in Florida in 1980? Uh, I found a I found a higher powder. <laughs> I, found some, I found a way to drink around the clock and still make it to work. That was incredible. You know, I, mean, I became the number one employee. <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody had the energy I had, man. I was, I was doing an eight ball on my way to work. You know. <laughs> Look at that son of a bitch. We need about four of him. You can't even keep track of him. You know, half the time, we can't find him. You know? It's just like incredible stuff. You know? I was spending $300 a day to make 80. You, know? you go in debt doing that. They were delivering this shit back then. I mean, it was like incredible. But uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know how my marriage lasted, uh, but I, I, 1989, my wife wanted out of the marriage. Uh, I was an absentee husband, absentee father. You know, I, I was just never home. I was either at work or out partying, you know, one or the other, you know? or both, <laughs> partying while I was at work. You know, and uh, she wanted out, and I was freaking devastated. I, I, it was the first time. In my, you know, I often look back and, and wonder. You know, one of the traits it seems of the alcoholic is this codependency. You know, this this uh, emotional dependency on a relationship. You know, this inability to not be in a relationship, even if it's a bad relationship. You know, what I mean, even if it's a bad one, it's better than none, right? We we just settle. You know, we just settled because because being alone is devastating. You know, but uh, you know, I, I I was that guy who she would threaten to leave. I go, go ahead and leave. You know, I don't like it here. Get the fuck out. You know, and then 20 minutes later, I'd be calling her, begging her to come back. You know, what I mean, like, holy shit, I'm alone. I'm never gonna find anybody. You know, I need to get her back, and I would just promise everything to get her back, and then go on another run. You know, and, but but she had had enough, and uh, and. You know, I, I won. You know, I got the I got the house. I got custody of my son. Uh, I won, and I was sitting. I was sitting in my bedroom. You know, the, the wild thing about Zoom when it was around is uh, when I was doing these talks on Zoom, I was sitting in my dining room outside of my bedroom where my son was when I tried to kill myself in my bedroom. And that's surreal. You know, I had never done that before, the Zoom thing. And by the way, I, as much as I, I'm grateful for the Zoom platform. I hate it, but I'm grateful for it. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we had it. You know, it was better than nothing. But I'm so grateful to be back here and, and, and not speaking to a screen, you know. And, but it was, it was surreal. I, I was sitting in my bedroom, and uh, all I could think about was me. My, you know, that self-pity that, that I was stuck in, this, this poor me, that how could she do this to me? How could that bitch do this to me? After all I've done for her, you know, I, I mean, that's just where my mindset was. Like, you know, and, and uh, I want it out. I don't, I don't want to play anymore. And it never even, I know, and it, it chokes me to think that my son was sitting in the other room and I never even considered the effect that it would have on him. Never even came to my mind. Oh, I, I was so self-absorbed and so caught up in my own pain and self-pity that, uh, that I attempted suicide with him in the other room. And, uh, and then I did what we do. I convinced her to come back. You know, like, I'll, I'll do anything. <laughs> you know? I'll do anything. And, I, and that's where I put down the drugs. That's where I put down the drugs. I thought I was a drug addict that drank. 
you know, look, hi, no more Coke. That's it. The Coke is gone. No more. I won't do any other. The drugs are out of the picture. We can, we can make this happen as long as the drugs aren't in the picture. Financially, we can get it back together. We can make this happen. And uh, I didn't realize what a hold alcohol had on me, man, you know, because my drinking went to a whole new level. And it, it uh, immediately we come back. It was great. We had another kid right away. It was like, you know, make up sex is awesome. You know, relationships back together. This is going to be great. And my drinking took off, man. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't stay stopped. I couldn't control the way I felt without liquor. I, I was just, the unmanageability was back. You know, that fear was back. And, and uh, it took me two years to hit a bottom with alcohol. And uh, it's, it's part of my story that's hard to talk about, looking back. You know, they, our, our, our 11th step talks about, uh, you know, not looking back with morbid reflection. And, and there's some, that makes sense. But how hard is it not to look back with regret, <laughs> you know, without any regret? I mean, to have put children through things and, and uh, women through stuff that they are, or loved ones, that mothers, parents, and, you know, that we put them through. I mean, surely I regret it. Uh, I realize that what took place had to take place for me to be where I am. Uh, but I do regret uh, some of the footprint that I left on other people. And uh, my my oldest was was ten, and my youngest was two. My oldest was twelve, and my youngest was two. And uh, I came home one night, and I and I don't even know what she asked me. And uh, and I knocked her down in front of my two kids. And uh, I hated my father for that. <laughs> you know, I I became my father. Isn't that wild? How we become who we resent. You ever notice that? We resent somebody, we'll become them. You know, we, you hate your father, you kind of become that. You know, you hate your mother, you kind of become that. And there I am, assaulting my wife in front of my two kids. And all I could think about was me and my sisters and brothers sitting around eating popcorn while my father assaulted my mother. You know? And, uh, you know, beginning of the end, beginning of the beginning depends on your perception. And, uh, I was arrested and charged and, and a restraining order and that, that whole thing that comes along with that. And, uh, and I ended up in a hotel room at Days Inn. At, uh, it's now La Quinta. I go by there all the time at 441 in, uh, in Commercial, the southeast corner. <laughs> and I'm in this hotel room for three weeks. And I can't get relief from the bottle anymore. It just won't work. Uh, and I want to tell you something. If alcohol still worked, I'm not here. I'm not here via consequences. I mean, we get here via consequences, but I don't believe that keeps us here. I believe the bottom is emotional, and that's why I think young people get this. You know, I think the bottom is internal. You know, it's not external. It might, you know, it might get court ordered here, and you get some good information. Parents might make you come here, and you get some information. We might ruin your drinking for you. You know, I mean, you might think of us every time you're getting drunk the next time. You know, but. But that's not why I'm stopped. I, I, I stopped because it didn't work anymore. If it would have continued to work in that hotel room, I would still be doing it. I swear to God. I, I needed I needed that relief. And I'm stuck in a spot where I'm getting up to drink to pass out, to get up to drink to pass out, to get up to drink to pass out, and there's no freaking relief in it anymore. There's no absolution anymore. My, my, my former sponsor, Garrett, used to say, alcohol would give me permission to violate my own principles, and then it would give me absolution later. That moral decline that I lived in 
getting permission from alcohol to do whatever the hell I wanted to anybody, anytime, anywhere, and get away with it, as long as I was getting something out of it. And then later when the guilt and remorse would set in, absolution through the bottle. And I can't get it anymore. I'm not getting any relief. And I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where the voice comes from. In my head, it says, call your sister. My sister was in AA. I had never talked to my sister about AA. I knew she was in AA. Nobody ever said, you should talk to your sister about AA. Nobody ever said, you're an alcoholic, you should go to AA. Nobody ever mentioned that. And the voice comes and says, call your sister. And I called my sister, and uh, I need help. I need help. I can't live like this anymore. And my sister picked me up, took me to my first meeting at the Fifth Chapter Club in Lighthouse Point. Probably nobody here has ever heard of the Fifth Chapter Club. No? Crickets? (laughs) It was on uh, Federal Highway 4699. I know the address. 4699 North Federal Highway in Lighthouse Point, you know. I'll never forget that building. And, uh, and my sister took my first AA meeting, and I don't even know what was said at that meeting. I have no idea. I was scared to death. I sat in the very back row, you know, against the wall, so nobody would get behind me. You know, and if anybody approached me with anything, I could get out of there, you know. And, and, uh, and I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't even know. It could have been a big book. It could have been a discussion. I don't know. All I know is a guy that looked just like Papa Smurf got up after the meeting at the end of the meeting asked if anybody wanted to start a new way of life and pick up a white chip and I jumped up out of my chair and I picked up a white chip and it's the only white chip I've ever picked up and it was March 26, 1991 and uh, by the way since I've seen you last time, 30 years 30 years, That's, that was kind of a milestone right? I don't usually say that often because time really doesn't mean much <laughs> you know? you know, my, my, oh thank you my recovery truly is based on what I look like today from other people. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how sober I am. You can judge me day to day, not by the time. I'll tell you what, the only thing that time does mean is that you've weathered some storms. That's what it means. That I've weathered some storms without picking up a drink. You know, other than that, I could look like a newcomer tomorrow if you walked behind me. <laughs> Hopefully not. But, uh, but uh, I found out later Papa Smurf's name was Lee May, God rest his soul, and... Uh, he did have a white beard. He looked just like him. And I tell you what, I, I, my life started that day in AA. I, don't have, I had no idea what to expect. I want to tell you something. I didn't even know you guys didn't drink. You know, my sister drank. She had been in AA for years, you know. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought you guys figured it out. You know what I mean? Like, she figured it out, you know. I mean, she, once in a while, she'd end up on a dance floor. We'd have to go get her, you know. But, you know, for the most part, she looked pretty good, you know. I was a little disappointed when I found I was forever. <laughs> like, holy shit, forever. That's a long ass time. And then you hear that, you know, then you hear the, the one day at a time. <laughs> That's like so stupid when you're new, isn't it? Like you, you, know, you can't even hear them when they say that, right? I don't know about you, but the, the torment that was going on inside of me when I was sitting in these meetings, I didn't hear shit, you know? You could have every slogan. You could tell me everything, and I was just, oh my god, I got to get that. I got to get my house back. (laughs) I need an attorney. (laughs) I mean, it's like you guys were like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah 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 wah. Even when you were like right in my face. Wah 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 wah. I'm going, oh my god, how am I going to get this? Just, I'll tell you. uh, My life didn't get better when I got here. 
I hate to say it. <laughs> it uh, you know, I, I'm going to quote a couple of my favorite communicators, and one is uh, is Charlie Parmalee, uh, the the artist of the Big Book seminars. Uh, the Big Book comes alive. Charlie was the master. Uh, I, I aspire to be a Charlie Parmalee clone. I'm working on it. And uh, and and Charlie would say, you know what? When you come to AA, you'll feel better. You'll feel anger better. You'll feel resentment better. You'll feel fear better. And he was right, because I'm unmedicated now. I have nothing in my system now. I am, not only am I detoxing in the rooms, I am freaking raw. I am, I am dealing with situations for the first time in my freaking life. For the first time in 16 years, well, 20 years, I'm, I'm drunk for 20 years. And now I'm dealing with something sober, without medication, without anything to take the edge off, right? That's what we do. We take the edge off. <laughs> it just takes a lot to get the edge off, you know. <laughs> and 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 Sandy Beach would always used to say another one of my favorites. If you want to hear a good speaker, man, if you're new, but uh, Sandy would always say, you know what happens when you come to AA? You're freaking sober, and that sucks. And the only one that's got an answer to that is a bartender and a drug dealer. You know. Oh my God, they were both right. They were both right. I was raw. I was raw, and I fell in with the wrong crowd. I mean, I, I mean, thank God for the fellowship. I, I am, and I'll talk more about that next week. But you know, I am so grateful for this fellowship. Uh, without this fellowship, I'm not here. You guys wrapped your arms around me, and you held me up. Uh, and and when I, and, I, and really, what what I fell into with was the "Don't drink and go to Denny's" people. You know, what I mean, that was their motto: "Don't drink and go to Denny's." Don't drink and go to Denny's. You know, and that's what we did every freaking night. Is we didn't drink and we went to Denny's. You know. <laughs> And I didn't realize what they were doing. Really, they were trying to save my life by filling me up with, you know, we're going to go have a Grand Slam. Yeah, I'm going, great, you know. Yeah. Oh, you can have a French Slam. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. You know, like, is this what, what do you guys do for fun? You know, I think they were afraid to tell me that was it. We, you know, we eat. We eat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do after a meeting? We eat. Yeah. you got to be freaking kidding me, man. Yeah. And, uh, and by the way, I love that <laughs> now, right? I mean, we fall in love with that because we, we fall in love with the fellowship, right? Because we, we, this is where the light is, because you guys are where the light is. And when I'm in the Floridian with you guys, I'm in the light. You know, when I'm there by myself, I'm up here. You know, I'm up here, and I, I love being that. And so they, they were trying to save me by filling me up with the Grand Slam and milkshakes and Sundays, and so I would, they would bloat me, you know, so I, would, I couldn't drink on the way home, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that's what my life became for my first three months in recovery was don't drink and go to Denny's. And, and, I, and I, as much as I loved the fellowship, I was resentful, you know, because I spent three months in AA not knowing what the problem was. I didn't know. Anybody else think they were crazy when they got here? Right? How else can you explain our behavior? Who gives up children unless they're freaking crazy? Who gives up their home? Who gives up their career? Who gives up their freedom unless they're crazy? And I'm sitting here with a bunch of crazy people. Right? You're all crazy. Get this asshole at the podium said he has a light beyond his wildest dreams. I go, dude, you're in AA. You know, you're nothing in the real world. You know, you don't even have a car or a girlfriend. What the hell are you talking about? I know what he's talking about now, but I didn't know what he was talking about then. Because I've been using the outside to fix the inside my whole life. I knew there was something out there that was going to make me happy. 
right? Uh, the right house, the right car, the right girl. There was someone or something out there that was going to fill the void and make me happy. He was talking about something totally different. He was speaking from the inside out. He was talking about, I'm fine in here. I have a light beyond all the streams. Nice to have a car and a house and stuff like that, but I'm fine. Oh, I know what he's talking about now, but it took some time to get there. Took some time and some work to get there. I had no idea. I thought you guys were crazy, man. I mean, look, if I could have found Mrs. Wright, I would have... I would have locked onto that. Thank God I was too crazy for anybody to even be attracted to me. I must have had six stamped in my forehead. No matter who I talked to, they ran the other way. Yeah. I, looked in the, I used to sit in the back and look at the back of my next ex all the time. Like, Jesus, we can only get with her. I'd be fine. I'd fix, I'll fix her. I'll, I'll get somebody else. You know, that's, our, that's me. That, that was where my mindset was back then. Oops. I'll find something or someone to fix the way I feel. You know, screw her. I don't need her anyway. Yeah. Then you'd hear him share and go, "Oh my God, no, that's okay. You know, never mind." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm 90 days picking up my red chip at the Fifth Chapter Club. It's a 10 p.m. meeting, and I'm falling apart in AA. I mean, falling apart. I can't do this. I, I'm in the same place in AA that I was in the hotel room. I can't stand the way I feel for one more effing second, and I can't drink. What's the difference? I'm in a hotel room going, I can't stand the way I feel for one more effing second, and I can't stop. There's no difference. One's just as painful as the other. The only difference is one involved alcohol and one didn't. And I told you guys what I thought all of you. <laughs> told everybody, pick up a red chip instead of saying thank you for all. I said, F you. You know, you guys are crazy. You know, this is some kind of freaking cult. You know, I don't know what's going on here, but I know you want to share, but I don't want to share anymore. You know? You know? <laughs> crazy. Half of you don't work, half of you don't have jobs. All you do is drink and go to freaking Denny's. You know, what kind of life is this? I mean, that was where I was coming from, you know. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And I didn't know. I, got, I left that meeting. They tried to hug me on the way out, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, no way. You know, one more person hugs me, I'm punching you. <laughs> you know, I get to the railing on the fifth chapter. Fifth chapter club was on the second floor. And I'm looking down, and Brian H. approached me. Uh, and said, you know there's a program here? And I said, yeah, I've been coming for three months. He goes, no, there's a program here. It's called the Big Book. Would you like to hear it? Whatever. Yeah. Now, I didn't know this until later, years later, actually, that, that Brian had been to a Joe and Charlie Big Book seminar and was armed with some new information. <laughs> and he couldn't wait to try it out on somebody. And, and, and nobody liked him because he was telling everybody they were doing AA wrong now, you know, because he had this new information. And nobody liked me because I just told them off, you know. So, so that's kind of what we had in common, you know, was the whole meeting room hated both of us, you know. And, and Brian comes up to me and, and, and says, would you like to hear about the program? And, uh, and I guess I was his experiment to see if this stuff really worked. And we went into the back of his little Mazda behind the Fifth Chapter Club, and he read the doctor's opinion to me. 
And my God, I, I don't know where you guys were hiding that information, but there's some pertinent information right there. You know, I mean, there's what every alcoholic and addict wants to know. Why can't I stay stopped? And why can't I control my drinking once I start? I thought I was crazy. You know, you're ill. You suffer from an illness. An illness of the mind and the body. An obsession of the mind coupled with an allergy of the body. Right? An obsession, an idea that overcomes all other ideas to the contrary. An idea that will block out everything alcohol does to you in favor of what alcohol is going to do for you. And if you're a drug addict, just substitute your drug of choice in there. Completely blocks out the fact that you're going to go to jail or she's going to leave or they're going to take the kids or you're going to lose your job in favor of what it's going to do for you. Because I'm telling you, what it did for me was amazing. And what, how I felt was so over-freaking-whelming that I, I would... You know, there's a paragraph in More About Alcoholism that I love that it talks about, what about when we deliberately go out and get drunk? Right? What about when we just deliberate? That's not even... A, we're not even believing a lie at that point, right? Because our buddies will even tell us, dude, dude, you can't do that. You're going to go to jail. F it. Right? No, no, don't pick that up. No, no, they're going to kick you out of your halfway. They, you, they told you they're going to drop you tomorrow. Don't do it. F it. You know, we act like one day at a time is a new concept, right? We've been living that way all our lives. You know, you got rent tomorrow. F the rent. It's about now. Give me another round. Give everybody a round, you know? We know the consequences. We do it anyway. Now, how uncomfortable do you have to be in your own freaking skin to do that? Now, there's something the professionals don't understand. There's something they don't understand. Just say no. F you. No. Can't you, like, write, when you're reading Bill's story, don't you identify with Bill there? Stock market crashes. Everybody's jumping from windows, committing suicide, right? And Bill says, F that. I went back to the bar. (laughs) He goes back to the bar, has a couple drinks, new idea, Canada, here we come, right? (laughs) That's us, right? I mean, that's like, how can you not identify with Bill Wilson, man? I mean, just, his story is freaking awesome, man. Once I fall prey to that obsession, boom, off to the races, right? I'm just going to have three. Just going to have three, because that's where the relief comes, right? About that third, man, third or fourth, somewhere in there, you get that, or that hit, right? Ooh, yeah, that dopamine dump kicks in. That's what I needed, okay? And then, boom, off to the freaking races, man. And you can come out of that, and I'm so sorry. They just, he described my life. For the first time, somebody I identified for the first time in my life, he described my life. We are restless, irritable, and discontent until we find that ease and comfort that comes at once from a couple of drinks or our drug of choice, right? And then, boom, off to the races. Abnormal craving, physical craving kicks in, right? And we come out of that with remorse. I'm so sorry. I swear, never, Your Honor. Listen, never again. Never again. I'm, you'll never see me in this courtroom again. Right? I swear to you. I swear on my, I swear on my mom. I, I got, you from Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, Allegheny County Jail, right? Never been to Allegheny County Jail? 
Oh, you're a little, oh yeah, a little further east. Yeah. I, met, I got arrested one night, my first felony at 19. Get to the Allegheny County Jail, never so scared in my life. I'm in my John Travolta outfit, you know what I mean? I got my platform shoes, bell bottom pants, this paisley shirt, my hair's down on my shoulder, I look like a date. Right? <laughs> I've never been so scared in my life. I mean, seriously, I was in the courtroom, I was at the arraignment the next morning with tears in my eyes, right? I mean, Your Honor, you can't, I can't stay here. I'm not, I'm 120 pounds for God's sake, you know what I mean? I'm not gonna do good here, you know? I swear, I'll do anything, anything you say. And he ROR'd me. You are R.R.B. court date. You know, R.O.R., you're out. Go ahead, man. I don't want to see you again. I said, thank you. I'm like, God, I'm so blessed. I was drunk before I got home. And you guys get it. You leave that jail, and you went, oh, my God, my car's impounded. I got to get my car out. Shit, I got a court date. I need money for a court. I need a lawyer. I need a lawyer. And all of a sudden, I'm overwhelmed. You know, I'm just going to have a couple <laughs> before I go to impound to get my car. And boom, off to the races again. That was, the, that was my life cycle. Can't stand the way I feel. Couple of drinks, off to the races. I'm so sorry. It'll never happen again. Maybe, maybe if I'm lucky, I make it three days. That was just my experience. I know there's other, my uncle, I had an uncle, worst alcoholic you'll ever meet in your life could go months. But when he went on a run, you didn't see him for months. He would actually save up months to go on month runs. You know what I mean? You know, I mean, his car would be abandoned in the middle of the street somewhere. I mean, we were, like a, we were like a family of drunks. They would call me, your uncle's car is in the middle of the street again. Could you come down and get it? Yeah, sure. No problem. You know, that was my life. Somebody finally told me what was wrong with me. And my recovery took off from there. I needed to know that information. I was resentful for a long time that it took me three months to hear that. Now, I don't know whether I was listening to Charlie Brown's teacher out there and I just didn't hear it, but I don't know why no one ever grabbed me and said something about an obsession and a compulsion. Because that's what defines us. That's what separates us. All the other stuff is outside stuff. That is the crux of the problem. That's what this whole book is about now, is how do I stay stopped? Because the allergy we're going to find we can't do anything about. We're physically different. Once we're physically different, that never changes. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. We'll talk a little bit maybe more about that next week because I'm running out of time. But, uh, but the, I, the, the real problem centers here. It keeps telling me it's okay to drink. Not in the body that it says it's not. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's the problem. So, so how do we define powerlessness? It's in the doctor's opinion. I can't stay stopped because of the obsession of the mind. I can't control the, my drinking because of the allergy of the body. Therefore, I am powerless over alcohol. Thank you so much for letting me be here tonight. Uh, let's thank Pat again. All right, we're going to have James come up for the secretary's report. Hi, my name is James, and I'm uh, your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hey, James. Hi, James. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. 
Um, I've asked Andrew to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. Hey guys, I'm Andrew and I'm an alcoholic. And this is recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would not be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our, our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequ consequently, we have recovered. Nineteen forties style big book sponsorship from forward to the second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous, of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way, 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75-plus success rate. I'm going to ask for a show of hands of recovered alcoholics. Oh, there's a lot here tonight. Um, is anyone in need of a sponsor that's here tonight? Oh, good. We're all sponsored up. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go through the announcements that we have, the Broward County Intergroup. You can get all of your AA literature, medallions. The helpline is listed at the bottom, 24-hour service. Then we have the Broward County Institution Committee. Is anybody here representative from BCIC? No? Okay. Um, they do their meeting uh, the second Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. They go to jails and institutions, the places where we can't get out of. Uh, please join us Monday night's Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book Comes Alive Fellowship is at 6.30. Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale in the back. Um, and we meet here every Thursday starting at 17. We ask you to be here promptly. Um, and we'll see you next week. Uh, we have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone again to our Monday night big book study. Um, those who wish to thank Pat, uh, just line up down the center aisle. And we're going to go. Oh, no, if you smoke or vape, just go down to the end. Um, Boy Scouts are here. Um, we're going to go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See you next week. Thirsty bodies.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Now, growing vines, they twist. 
distant turn each way Flowers blooming all the time right outside my door Never before I had to change everything to realize That today is the best day of my God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye. I think you know this one, don't you?
Take. Got one man that just won't set me free. Look 